It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome! The shutdown. No, 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 no. Not, so, no, no, no. not so fast, my friend. Oh. Welcome you. Welcome oh. to you. Oh, well, boy, thank you. Hello, I, stranger. Yeah, I, 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 I took uh, what five days off. Where you been? I, I've been and uh, took the took the kids to Colorado. Took them out to Le- Legacy Pac-12 country, if you will, for a little vacay, little uh, R and R. In the the wild wilderness, I got a couple of I got a couple of lessons to share with with both of you. Is one of those lessons that the plural of moose is meese? I tried to get my kids on the plural of moose is meese, yeah. but uh, they they refused to. They they did say mooses. Mm, no, and I, it's meese. Yeah, I kept trying. Jason, where do you stand on the plural moose debate? Are you I like a moose? moose I like mooses a lot. Mooses, it just makes sense to me, right? Because I, I, moose... I think that's the funniest version too. Meese, Meese is Meese is also entertaining. You know what isn't entertaining? Walking up to one like twenty feet away and not seeing it until you're nineteen feet away. Oh, you added a moose in the wild. I did. Um, the moose did not forcibly block me. I decided not to follow. I was walking. This was not, by the way, in an unpopulated area. This was about two minutes walk from where I was staying which was not exactly in the middle of the woods. It was more like glamping, right? A cabin a cabin with acceptable cable television is probably the best way to put it. Walking with the kids uh, at not an unreasonable hour, not like, oh, five in the morning. No, no, no. Was it like, was it like 9 a.m.? And just walking up and thought, well, I don't know, maybe we'll see a moose. Oh, hey, look at that. Yeah, they're six feet tall at the shoulder. This was a juvenile bull but already on the kind of biggish side. 
with the horns and uh had to do the had to do the immediate pivot on the heel walked about 50 feet backwards put something big a truck in this case between me the kids and the moose now how hard was it to get the children to pivot um it was easy to get one to pivot though he was asking neither of neither of my children are really uh have survival skills of any kind because one of them city lads one of them immediately said like immediately i have one who is the natural attorney so instead of just assuming that i was doing the right thing began to ask hey why what is the (laughs) procedure why are we turning around making more noise for this potentially this is the one that I don't want in a heist. Yes. This son. The heart of a snitch. For I mean, besides the fact that he has the heart of a snitch, it's like, excuse me, officer, would you mind if I parked here? Yeah. Is this weed legal? Is it the legal kind? Can you come over and look at it? This wall is stable. I can lean on it. Yeah. If I give a treat to one and I'm like, hey, be cool. Uh, the younger's like, yeah, dog, got it. I'm cool with it. And immediately absconds with it. The older one says, why did you give me one and not him? You have a dog son and a cat son. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I am your friend. So uh, he was saying that. And the younger one insisted on getting closer to the moose, which was not going to happen. But that's where he was going. He was like, oh, let's go pet it. It's probably chill. So, yeah, wildlife. Wildlife's very real. Vacation's very real. You know what? You know what is not a part of the American wildlife experience though. And thus I bring it back to college football, our, our ostensible topic here, because we are the internet's only college football podcast. Mm. You know, what doesn't really, isn't really a sort of a collective skill anymore. Football. Arizona state football. Mm, depending on the state, that is definitely a valid critique. Running the damn ball. Running the damn, also a completely valid critique the, the drop kick the drop the drop kick <laughs> i don't know apparently moose are real good at the drop kick because they're just drop kicking people all over colorado while we were there a guy got trampled up in nederland because he was close to a, a mama and her calf because it's calfing season you don't want to get close to them if mama's got the baby around right mama moose yeah and you know they say oh man inside every dog is a wolf well M- moose really believe that because they see a dog and they just like let's go bro getting aggro i also don't feel like and i i have only seen them from afar uh in an alaskan jaunt many years ago but i also feel like the general public is not super well educated on this is gonna sound basic but i mean it just how tall moose are yeah six feet at the shoulder five like if you're driving you don't see their belly yeah you just see four sticks and then your car is totaled and maybe you're dead that's how moose moose but kill. It sounds very basic, but I truly do not feel people realize like it's like the Grand Canyon. You mm-hmm. see it in pictures, and you're like, "Oh, that's enormous!" And you get there, and you're like, Whoa! "No, it's the like stupidity of facts." Where you go, a moose is six feet tall at the shoulder, and then you see it really, and go, "Oh my god, it's six feet tall at the shoulder." Yeah, yeah don't they come correct if you're dealing with the moose? Show some respect because uh, they will boot you into the next life. They kill more people than bears and mountain lions combined every single year goals yeah the antlered threat (laughs) be familiar with it but one thing that's not a part of the skill set and not a part of the whole american wilderness experience so again where i swear we'll come back and tie this in uh nobody can tell a ghost story anymore and that goes for me as well because i failed as an elder around the campfire when it came time to you know hey let's all tell ghost stories 
Guess who, who couldn't? Did, I couldn't you, th- did you bring this up as a thing to do? No, the kids know you're supposed to. So you have like an eight-year-old who's like, yeah, tell me a ghost story. And you go, um, I had two things happen. One, I had uh, a disappointed like five and six-year-olds who were like, come on, man. Can't you think of a, a scary story? Oh, that's not scary at all. They're the ones who's like, ooh, scare us. And then at three in the morning, they're like, it's 90 degrees and I want to sleep in your bed. Yeah, because I'm terrified because the one story you could think of was a weird Tibetan folk tale about a hat that turned into a monster. I like that XKCD cartoon where they're sitting around uh, a campfire and this little like nephew or something is like, that's not scary. And everyone goes, okay, scare us. And he goes, I wasn't born when 9-11 happened and I'm old enough to be having this conversation with you right now. And they all go, ah! <laughs> A hat we did into ask, a monster. That's what the last Super Mario game was about. We did ask uh we did ask a six year old what was scary. And that's that's good because they start to say things like, So there's a robot. Yeah. The robot's real mad. Okay, it's pretty good so far. So then the robot, you just killed everyone. You're like, Yeah, that's terrifying. It's also the plot of the Terminator movies. You are now so, sued. Yeah. Congratulations, derivative little six year old. Taste the taste the wrath of James Cameron and his attorneys. Now you know so, real fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to know fear? Here's a Hollywood attorney. So nobody knew James Cameron himself will fuck you up. I'm not sure if I'd rather hit him or a moose with my car. He's like tall and flinty. He also He's has extremely more extremely tall. He also has more free time. I think he'd be a good slapper, right? I'm not trusting yeah. the punches, but the reach on a slap from James Cameron. Yeah, it'd be Titanic. He is. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Oh my Christ! I there's nothing within reach to throw at you. This so is a problem. So we decided that in like the complete lack of of these ghost stories, the six year old told their story, and then I had my eleven year old niece, who's a bit of a reader, go, "Oh hey, I looked up some scary campfire stories. This one's about a guy named John Wayne Gacy." And I was like, "Stop! Wow! Stop! That's like." You got scary stories to tell in the dark from your library. It turns out when you when you have when you Google scary stories about kids, that's not the search term you want. Ah, the Atlanta child murders. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about Wayne Williams. No, no. Don't and then Jim Levitt removed the ribbon from around his neck <laughs> and his head fell off. There's a co- there's a Colorado campfire story. <laughs> Bill didn't 1986, Bill McCartney in an enchanted tree. I would actually believe Bill McCartney having a head that was just filled with spiders. That's hey, the promise that the promise that he kept was my head will be full of spiders. Now that we've gotten into the deep water here, but uh, we thought we would ask everybody for their actual The deep camp. water full of full of scary spectral horsemen. <laughs> Why don't you just tell a story about an infamous child murderer? Okay, that's not it's not gonna help anyone here. But enough about Brian Kelly. That's our time, Damn. folks. It's been good. Uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll cover podcast business later. Bye, y'all. No. Um, it's good week. Moving on. We uh, decided to do campfire stories. A couple of these are college football related. I thought we asked our readers for one and we'll go over them. But y'all mind if I share the one that I uncovered that actually turned out to have a real and kind of awesome story behind it i see no way of stopping you jason you mind if i do that i mean yeah that's not if it's awesome let's do it okay because um i did a little bit of research for this i called uh the historian at the college football hall of fame asked okay do we actually have any like college football hauntings 
And there are a couple. Haints. Excuse me. They're called haints in the SEC. Yeah, a couple. One of them uh, seems really, really sketchy to me for a couple of obvious reasons. George Gipp, the uh, Notre Dame football player who died at the age of 25, which, by the way, if you want to know how Notre Dame was really good at football to start, George Gipp died while playing football there at the age of 25 and didn't spend much time in the dorms and was known more for making his living playing pool in South Bend. So, ah, amateurism. It's always been amazing. George Gipp allegedly haunts a couple of dorms at Notre Dame. That's why I don't really believe it because George Gipp never really graced a dorm when he was at Notre Dame. It's just kind of his job. He spent his time elsewhere. He's allegedly there. The one that, the one that is consistent uh, and appropriate for the history of the football program, but but legit tragic. Uh, Michael Plume. Michael Plume uh, is the name of a guy whose ghost allegedly hangs from a rafter at Indiana University's Memorial Stadium. Wait, when you say okay, when you say a stadium rafter, I'm trying to picture this like in a concourse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like hangs from one of the rafters. Okay. Uh, this is slightly inaccurate because one, it's a ghost. They're not real. Two, uh, Michael Plume was a real guy, but he wasn't hanging from the rafter. Michael Plume's death was uh, in 1960. He was found at the bottom of a scaffold with a noose around his neck on a on February 15th. And he was sort of slumped at the bottom of the scaffold. His death, uh, he's a promising Air Force cadet studying Russian. Talked to his dad like... About two or three days before, which in 1960 terms was like five minutes ago, right? Yeah, I talked to him like 60 hours ago. That's, that's you know, basically five minutes in our terms. He's doing well. And then he was found dead at the bottom of this scaffold with a noose around his neck. And the noose was tied up to a rafter, you know, about 30 feet up. Seems kind of odd, especially because there were a, a lot of really odd things. His shoes were completely clean as were his clothes, despite it being a very muddy construction site where he could not get from point A to point B without getting something on him. He didn't have a broken neck, which is typically how somebody who hangs themselves from that uh, height so would have died. Like, if he had jumped from a rafter. Yeah, if you okay. jumped from a rafter on top of a scaffold, which was perfectly solid, which it was wobbly but solid, probably you would have broken your neck. Uh, he hadn't, and he wasn't at the kind of height where he would have asphyxiated either because he landed on the ground hmm. uh, and did not have any visible head trauma. In addition to that, uh, the rope had fibers which did not match the gloves that he was wearing. So another pair of gloves, no real sort of marks on the body or dirt indicating he had made the actual sort of transit across the site. A lot of weird things. Still, back in 1960, his death is ruled a suicide. And one person didn't believe this, and that would be Bill Plume, his father, Michael Plume, his son, uh, insisted that he could not have killed himself. Did just had no motive, had no reason, um, and never really bought into that and contested the coroner's ruling that it was a suicide. He started doing this in the 60s. One lawyer who worked on it, who's quoted in the story on it, uh, started working the case in 1984. Good Lord. Yeah. Another one in the 1990s. Bill, Bill Plume appealed this and kept driving at it and asked somebody to look at the case until it was the cause of death was officially ruled as undetermined from 
a suicide, two undetermined in 2017. You're like, well, that's that's a really long time. And that was his dad. How old was he? Bill Plume was 99 when this happened. Way to finish the drill, dad. 99. And the quote from the quote from Bill Plume after he got the Monroe County coroner, Joni Shields, uh, who agreed that this was a, a clear case of a potential homicide or at least an undetermined death. Bill Plume said, I've learned one thing in 57 years. You can't fight City Hall, but you can outlive them. <laughs> so if you hear about a ghost at Indiana, go, oh, there's, there's a guy who hanged himself in, in the rafters. One, a lot of evidence that he didn't hang himself. Even Bill Plume said that the people who did this, yeah, they're probably long gone, which I don't know. That's kind of a stunt, Bill. Being 99 I mean, years old. Bill Plume is 99 years old and being like, they're long gone. I fucking hope they're long gone. Or Bill, Bill Plume's going to find Bill them. Bill Plume's going to haunt your ass. <laughs> I'm going to get you. Yeah. You know, not to not to like demean or diminish this man's tragedy. But no, no, God. seriously. No, no like, seriously. That's, that's a dad. That's a dad to be feared. What a, what tenacity in this man to, to drive until he was 99 years old and get what he wanted. And then stun on it and be like, yeah, I outlived you. Man, I got what I wanted after this horrible thing happened. Bill Plume, y'all. As like various generations of coroners and police chiefs and whatnot are coming and going and they're all like, oh, this guy will. How how much longer can this guy possibly be around? I got to retire in three years. Yeah, he's going to And eventually he just wore them all down. Yeah. So so when you hear the story of, you know, a ghost at Indiana University Stadium – um, that's fascinating and everything. The, the actual story behind it was was a was kind of a, a shocking surprise in terms of, oh, God, there's not only is there something behind this, there's another story about a guy who waited until he was 99 years old to finally, like, win this case. If we still had digital Vikings, I would put Bill Plume in there. 99. That's metal as hell. Dear Lord. So there, there we go. I started with the ghost story and I ended up with, you know, a story of ornery devotion. By one man from Evergreen, Colorado. Indiana football is also an urban legend. Um, I like in terms of in terms of unsolved mysteries with very unpleasant and unknowable forces at work behind them. Indiana football definitely qualifies. I Jason? mean, it, it takes about a century before you get a victory that isn't really that much of a victory. That this is all Indiana football. That's correct, Jason. Um. So let's see. I had a couple to choose from here. One sort of. I guess it informs at least part of my brain, and I'll probably never figure out how much. Um, this was, we were in Ohio. My mom is from Ohio. We were at her parents' place. I was probably around, I don't know, like five or six or so. Um, and I was sleeping on the floor in one of the guest rooms and heard a uh, older adolescent male voice say, Mom, I broke the. Sentence wasn't finished. I thought, okay, someone's right on the other side of the wall or whatever. Um Next night, I'm laying in the same place, and the door is open. All the grown-ups are either downstairs or around the corner in the kitchen or however the house is laid out, and there was a discussion about one of my uncles who passed, I think, before I was born, and what they were talking about was he broke a bicycle, and he came into the house one night, and he said, Mom, I broke the, and then it was time to fix the broken bicycle. I, of course, hear this realize I just heard someone say this sentence basically to me 24 hours prior run in the room screaming and crying and they you know they think it's like oh he's upset because he heard a story about a person who has who has died and you know I never really told him 
why I was upset about hearing this. Uh, I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but <laughs> it's something that, that that was something. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll probably never figure out what that was. I, I would kind of prefer not to figure out what that no, was. No, that's mad specific. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, there's no coincidence there. Um, the other one was, uh, y'all know about the Joplin spook light? I don't know if I've mentioned this on here or not. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I love in, the cadence of this, whatever it is. <laughs> in Southeast Oklahoma, like, uh, it's it's kind of in Missouri, kind of in Oklahoma. There's this road that's I, th- I forget which route it's kind of uh, adjacent to, where you go over a hill and you sit sit in the dark among these trees for a while and you see lights flashing above the horizon, and it's been documented back to like the 1880s, which is funny because the prevailing scientific theory on this is you're seeing reflections from cars, uh, from you know from headlights. Mm-hmm. a road about 10 miles i forget if that's i think that's west um but it, it's been like the words joplin spook light have been documented since you know before cars existed so we went out there um and we didn't see anything so i can't i have nothing to add to that particular one but if you're in the area go take a look because you know this kind of shit is all over it all over all over our country i'm assuming every other country as well mm-hmm. And that's the type of shit of a lot of listeners sent in. And this was like, I don't know how many of these we're going to be able to get to from our listeners, but like, you know, look on our Twitter and on the Reddit. There's some very fun reading on there. Uh, I have one that I would like to read because the title is The Beast of Busco. God, that's amazing. Uh, this one was sent in to us by Jay Rigdon. The story starts in 1898 when a farmer named Oscar Fulk, F U L K, oh, we are already doing great. Oscar Folk supposedly saw a giant turtle living in the seven-acre lake on his farm near Churubusco? Where is this? Uh, I assume this is somewhere in Wisconsin. He told others about it, but eventually he decided to leave it alone. This is where the story would end. Oh, Churubusco is also in Indiana. We're keeping this Midwest. A half century later, in July 1948... Two more Churubusco citizens, Aura Blue and Charlie Wilson. Oh, this, we're, wow. guys, we're doing great. We're, we're deep. We're like neck deep in Thomas Pynchon. Uh, also reported seeing a huge turtle weighing an estimated 500 pounds while fishing on the same lake, which had come to be known as Folk Lake. A farmer named Gail Harris owned the land at the time. Harris and others also reported seeing the creature. I, I picked this story just so I could read the names, in case you can't tell. People questioned the existence of the turtle, so to vindicate his good name, Harris made several attempts to catch the beast, including draining the lake by pumping the water into an area sealed off by a dam with the help of Orville Bright and Kenneth Leach, Wow! only for the dam to break when the lake had been almost entirely drained. Despite many attempts, Oscar, named after the original owner of the farm, Oscar the turtle was never captured. In March of 1949, an attempt to send a deep-sea diver into the pond failed when the wrong equipment was delivered to the Harris farm. Very suspicious. Uh, And a photographer for Life magazine, Mike Shea, took 299 photos at the site, but they were deemed unusable. I like the idea, like, my favorite thing about the ocean, which is a lot of people's least favorite things about the ocean, 
is how much of it we have never seen and touched and will never know. And all the fucked up creatures that are living down by the volcano vents on the floor. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of comforting that we could, the notion that we could have the same uh, version of these same stories in freshwater. Oh, I have one. Go on. And this is a little more ghoulish. But one thing that is more ghoulish than Jim Levitt's head being kept on by a ribbon. Everybody knows. Almost. Almost. Okay. This would be the rumor, myth, legend of what's at the bottom of Lake Tahoe. Are either of you familiar with this? I feel like you told me this story when we were at Tahoe. Yeah. And I've already forgotten. I may have. I'm going to assume there's a golf cart down there. Um, Probably. And if there is a golf cart down there then it is either very well preserved and or is in the company of really well preserved bodies either killed by the mob or the riggers and abuses of the construction of the railroads of the west because the rumor is like lake lake tahoe's really deep all right it's a big glacial lake it's it's, it's about 1600 feet deep at its deepest point y'all for a lake that's real dang deep there could be some prehistoric shit down there Absolutely. And the rumors for a long time were that, uh, and divers started spreading these, that you would find not one, not two, but at certain depths at the very bottom, you'd find hundreds of bodies weighted down wearing like pinstripe suits and fedoras and all the things that a gangster would be wearing when he was capped. Wait, how would you, how do you go about trucking gangster bodies to Tahoe? That's kind of out of the way. It seems out of the way. It seems like a real, oh, real long time. It's close to Reno. That is correct. They're coming from Reno. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, okay. pipe them in from Vegas if, you know, it's a VIP. That's that's the rumor, right? That they would be down there. And, you know, this was a, an apocryphal Cousteau quote for somebody who went down there like that. Cousteau said, you don't want to know what's down there. Uh, nobody's ever really sort of verified that any of the Cousteaus actually said this after taking a, a you know, jaunt around the bottom. Right. Um, but but here's the fun. Here's the fun science behind this. The fun corpse science behind this. Um, if a body does drown in Lake Tahoe and it's way down there. Guess what? It doesn't decompose. So. If a body is recovered, like the body of a scuba diver was in 2011, uh, you get you get a body that is shockingly well preserved. So, if anybody is down there, and it probably is, it's been a while, 1,600 feet deep, got a lot of people around it. It's probably somebody down there. So, if this there is a good, some- a good skincare routine. You're saying this is what I'm thinking. We we got to haul up that water and start selling it at Sephora and shit. I think we just dunk, dunk people in it real deep. And some formaldehyde. It is it is anaerobic. Much to the point where like you get sheriffs saying really weird things. Who is anaerobic? About As, by it. the way, am I? Yeah, that's <laughs> congratulations. Go balls. Rude. Rude. And hurtful. <laughs> hey, survive for years without a single bit of oxygen to keep it going? Or sunlight? That's Tennessee football, I man. We're asking you a goddamn thing. Uh, that would be a very Jeremy Pruitt thing, by the way. To so be like, I don't like oxygen. Oxygen. What is oxygen? I've asked you repeatedly not to bring up that man. I don't know what it is. I don't even don't don't bother Do me you, with that. Okay, what 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 class of living thing is Jeremy Pruitt? Mineral? No, like I think he's a plant, but like a real dumb one. Like a, a cactus. Nah, people like cacti. 
I'm gonna put him on some kind of like a big old like a big old mushroom. It's like no. a, a cactus who's like I only drink water once a year. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's a very good point. I take that. It's, I, it I, waste, I it wastes time. If you found a bird living in the side of Jeremy Pruitt's head, would you be surprised? No, no, not at all. There's certainly enough room in there. Yeah. This is, by the way, like the quote from the sheriff when they found this diver in 2011. They recovered his body was this. His remains are in amazing physical condition. Where I was like, so he's been going to the gym. It's been like lifting, hmm. looking good, eating hmm. right. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff down there is my point. And if you got an anaerobic environment, it's all going to kind of look spectral and spooky. So uh, are there creepy things at the bottom of Lake Tahoe? Yeah, probably. Probably if you, if you if you go far enough, which I don't think you should. It's better ways. Go ski. Go play golf. Don't take a submarine down and look at the corpses at the bottom. Yeah, just have fun. Just have a lot of fun. Oh, I haven't told my personal story yet. Oh, go ahead. Which I thought that I had told on this program before, which I feel like I've been saying a lot lately, but that's how long this program has been going on. Um Spencer, I know that you are certainly aware because you've met my family that there are members of my mother's side who believe that we are bloodline descendants of the Mothman. Can you backtrack and just explain the Mothman to everybody who might not? Uh, The Mothman is a West Virginia spectral haint type situation that (laughs) typically appears to people as uh, an enormous red eyed critter with wings. Uh, it's thought to be it's it's more of it's it's thought to be more of like an earthbound silver surfer type situation like not not the cause of bad things but the harbinger of bad things like the the famous one that you'll point to is is the the collapse of the point of the silver bridge in point pleasant west virginia um we we got a lot of reader responses involving the mothman because we have a lot of west virginians involved with the show go ears but i need to tell you <laughs> that my mother's people believe that uh, that one person in every generation in our family inherits Mothman powers. Uh, okay. And in this current generation, uh, it is my mother's older sister who has been stuck with this, uh, who has been stuck with this meme for so long that we have referred to her as Aunt Mothman since childhood. Mm-hmm. This is this is the degree to which this is just accepted. Uh, the great news is she has no kids, so guess who gets it next? Is it you? What's up? That's terrifying. I'm extremely excited to come into my birthright. But anyway, she was in Point Pleasant uh, the day the Silver Bridge collapsed. She didn't live there. She was visiting a student uh, at the time. She has done my favorite. This is just stuff like, you know, elevators will fail with her in them. Planes will make. She's been in more emergency landings on airplanes uh, than any three people I know. But my favorite is and i swear i've told this story before but she's at a sonic uh she's at a sonic in oh this is the the auntie who lived in denver and was raising alaskan huskies on a friend of hers farm and the the black helicopter cult came and slaughtered a bunch of their cows for a satanic ritual this is going places yeah yeah wasn't she also a champion like kite surfer she was a semi-professional windsurfer okay uh she yeah she's had a life um, she's a terrifying woman, but she was parked. This is my favorite one of these because it's the most recent. Was when she was parked at a Sonic that was next to, I guess, an overpass, and on the other side of her there was like a Walmart or something where there was like a classic car club, like a bunch of just old dudes, like not like Fast and Furious, but a bunch of old dudes with their Camaros and stuff, you know, with the the hoods up, and a car 
as she, she's in the she's not in a pull-up stall she's the drive-through window yeah and as she's pulling away a car sails midair through her vision uh had burst through the guardrail next to her flown midair right in front of her as she was pulling out of the drive-through and landed and rolled atop uh three or four classic cars like monster truck style uh-huh and i was like what did you do and she's like well i got my milkshake and left I'm like yeah that's that's a fair reaction mothman needs a milkshake that, that, that's a fair reaction anyway i'm super excited uh to come into my haintley powers jason if i just just you know you can just drive down here and come get me right now that's fine. <laughs> how it's, are we how fine. are we planning on using these oh uh, yeah that's that's the thing how do we monetize this <laughs> i will i will destroy this bridge on a gofundme welcome to infrastructure week fuckers <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you what one man demolition crew that's, Madam Secretary Mothman. Yeah, that's, <laughs> we we've sent we've sent our finest agent, Mothman. So the power is being near things that collapse. The power is allegedly like bad things happen around you, oh, like okay. wherever you go. Like weird thing, weird and bad slash bad things happen when you are near. And we're trying to steer this away from Tennessee football too. Oh uh, no, no! I just assume that that's been inborn. I, I meant as a like. It feels like every metaphor here. I guess is, my is, real question is how would we tell the difference? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess mean, it, I, it just feels like every story we're telling is like, wow, this boy, this again, this also sounds like the Vols. Yeah, it, it it might turned out that the real Mothman was inside me all along. I would put you in Athens, but they collapse on their own well enough. Woo! Jason. Uh let's see here. Um, I have not read this content, th- th- so I'm just going to read this. Oh, I got another one I can read. If I'm just going to scroll for read a this one live. It's the next. So Ryan Nanny, who is uh, with us, he uh, we've we we all found several paths to this topic. Spencer was out in the out in the hills. Uh, Ryan was struck struck dumb because he saw a ghost. Uh, he's on here right now. He can't speak. Ryan's sitting in for Brian Floyd this week. Floyd, who uh, also saw a ghost. They were both they were both uh, dressed as ghosts. It was tragic. This comes to us from listener Stuart P. As assembled by Ryan. God rest his speech. Back more than a century ago, horse racing, cockfighting, and gambling were all common pastimes in North Carolina. Fremont, being right on the newly built railroad line and halfway between Wilson and Goldsboro, would throw festivities every summer. Tourists would take day trips from the cities to the little town to take part in the excitement and to enjoy the whiskey that flowed freely all day. In Fremont, which might be Fremont, I don't know, Towns in the Carolinas, we get yelled at every time we pronounce one I of your cities. Fremt? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this. Look, I just dove face first into Indiana pronunciations. You're from. Fine. I think it's Fromon. In Fromon, one of the regulars at the events was a local man by the name of Bolton. It's actually pronounced Fred. Fremont. Bolton was a giant of a man, massively built, a hulk of muscle and bone. He had big bones. Well, he was I, also I a very, so. very heavy drinker. Whenever there was racing and gambling going on, Bolton would work the crowd performing feats of strength in exchange for a drink. His signature trick was smashing a whiskey barrel to pieces using his giant head. Same. (laughs) Same. He would celebrate his triumph by gulping down the whiskey that the appreciative onlookers passed his way. On one of these festival days in Fromont, the weather was good. The crowd was large and generous, and Bolton had drunk more than even his usual share. He began to boast, saying he could smash anything with his head. Okay. (laughs) 
He was soon breaking bottles and two-by-fours on his head without seeming to feel any pain. As he became more and more drunk, Bultoon's boasting grew until he declared he could stop a train with his head. Naturally. Oh. That, that's just that's just the progression. It's, Where's this going? Yeah. By this time, the crowd was nearly as drunk as Bultoon, and they cheered him on as he swaggered down to the railroad tracks and stood right in the middle of the line, sticking his big-ass head out in the direction of the next arrival. <laughs> this this type of shit. This type of shit. When like millennial, the new millennial trend is taking photos next to trains. Like, why are millennials stopping more trains? Y'all weren't no smarter than us, so shut the fuck up. You, listen, listen, the tale of Boltone tells you nobody knows how to handle a fucking train. In those days, trains ran on time. Okay, so millennial trains no longer mm-hmm. run on time. And you so know who before else too ran long, trains on time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I never get to use that literally. Wow. Uh, before too long, the crowd heard the whistle and the rumble of the express rolling down the tracks. Now, the sound of an oncoming train was enough to sober up a few of the crowd who tried to pull Bultoon off the tracks, but he refused. And as the train drew ever closer, he loudly proclaimed that he was tougher than any train. The train soon proved him to be very wrong about that. It's how he would have wanted to go. The crowd gathered around what remained of B. Olton and carried him down to the graveyard. They found the local preacher and poured enough coffee into him so that he was sober enough to say a few words. Oh, into the preacher. Okay. Like, yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. Like, wait a second. Like but wait, need. the pronouns get even better. After yeah. they buried him. Uh. <laughs> after they buried the preacher and. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Blolton. The drinking and carousing continued, but became awake for Blolton. Folks figured he would have wanted it that way. I think that's correct. Ever yeah. since that night. That mysterious light has been seen rising out of the graveyard and traveling to the spot on the railroad tracks where Bluton met his end. Folks who have gotten close enough to the light to get a good look say that inside that eerie green glow seems to be the shape of a particularly large human skull. <laughs> Spencer, a it's your kid. No, hey, coming toward us. The phantom this has gotta be gourd. an ancestor of yours. Holy shit, that thing's an eight and three quarters sailing right at us. <laughs> And a few have even said they've heard a spectral voice coming from the glow. The voice is indistinct as coming from another world, but it seems to be asking a question. It wants to know if they can spare any whiskey. That's beautiful, man. Man, that's a story of the story of Bolton and his big ass head. That's an amazing story. That's the Appalachian I think it would suck if that was your ghost, but the only thing they saw was like the most unflattering part of you, <laughs> right? If it was like, yeah, here comes old, here comes old tiny penis Wilson, just rising. <laughs> there it is. Here comes weird Dick McGee. Just yeah, look through at the it. ether. It's like a look at it. It's like a neon Cheeto just it's walking his through weird the air. Green Dick, and all it can be heard saying is, "I wasn't green in real life. It was cold when I died." Of course, he died of sun poisoning. So that's a lie. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a Hey, you know, it can be sunny when it's when it's cold out. Of course, he died because he burned his house down. I like that we so. have like ghosts or ghosts always have rebuttals. I would like to rebut this statement. Yeah, you don't really have time to argue with them. They just say one thing over and over. From the grave. Yeah, ghosts so you got you got to you got to be sure you program the right statement. Because like imagine if you record your one ghost line. And it's like, hang on, let me try that again. Sorry, that's locked in. That's all you get to say forever. <laughs> You're the try again ghost. Uh, the the other, this is another, by the way, like uh, odd thing that uh, that most of the ghost stories that you know we get in our particular ballywick 
they're not real good. You know, like if you tell me though, like like if certain places were haunted, I would just accept that. Like if you told me Ohio Stadium was haunted, I would just believe you. Because if you've been to Ohio Stadium where the Burkers play, uh it is uh it's big, it's kind of scary, it's got some like gothic stuff. It's got some it's got some print and some like the, the the original font they use for everything is like, you know, gothic font, which originally looked a little spooky and now just looks like Ohio State fans tattoos. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, you know, if they could have written monster energy in that font, they probably would. Somebody out there who's an Ohio State fan probably has that tattoo. And if so, sir or madam, you are at max brand. Please stop. I, I mean, Exce- monsters are scary, so. <laughs> and they have energy yeah famously so but if you told me ohio stadium was haunted um i would 100 percent believe you for no reason whatsoever other than it's just kind of big and creepy looking however if you told me like the rose bowl was haunted i don't know i don't think anything it's haunted by angels yeah that's <laughs> a ghost a ghost in the rose bowl's got it pretty good they're like i don't know it's it's not bad. But no, it's true what they say about the San Gabriels. It does. <laughs> like, it's just a genial uh, white sweatered golfer type ghost, <laughs> right? Who's like, had a good round today. Got in 36. Like, oh, God, that's his unearthly shroud. No, that, that's a that's a fetching cardigan that he's like, tied around <laughs> the shoulders there. The Rose Bowl is a fairy garden where you go to get, like, another power up or something. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, exactly. It's 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 some place that you know when you find it in Zelda, they're like the spirits here are good, and they'll help you get you know they'll help you get good gear, they'll help you level up. It's fine. If you told me Florida was haunted, I might believe you because there was always a rumor that somebody had jumped from the side of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Mm. However, I also refuse to believe that a ghost would hang around. What's this? this which is a stadium that almost definitely has people buried under it. Well, the rumor the rumor was that the Meadowlands, the old Meadowlands, had Jimmy Hoffa, right? There's buried a college the, stadium with the rumor that people were buried under it. Yeah. Well, I know that. I mean, if you want bodies, Camp Randall, Camp Randall was an actual like military training camp, and you know, before the age of antibiotics, inevitably somebody probably died from you know super diarrhea, aka dysentery. So. There's some there's somebody had probably buried around in or around Camp Randall is my guess, because that was that was pioneer days. So that would be my leading candidate for it. Let's see here. Uh, unfortunately, it is. Once... Right, do we count Uggas, Matt? Do we count all the Uggas? No. Mm. That be, man, that's a so apparently ghost. the urban legend is uh, once again that it is Tennessee. No, no, no. The urban legend is that he's not going to ever coach again. The uh, let's see, wow. the FBI. The urban legend is, no, no, wait. The urban legend is that he didn't know Zach Smith is a piece of shit. Yeah, Nin- no. 1992, uh, Tennessee's forensic forensic anthropology center allegedly oh, buried shit, I the bones. About this. Yeah, allegedly buried the bones under the stadium. So yeah, again, we're talking about the Vols. I'm gonna explain some shit. Uh, to, Tennessee was one of those stadiums that had dorms built into it as part of a swindle by the government to get it built. My dad used to live in one of them. Um, and I think LSU did the same thing, didn't they? Yeah, yep. they did. Yep. No, I mean, how come we don't get more ghost stories out of LSU? Is it because they don't consider them scary or remarkable? Like, oh, hell, that's just Kevin. 
I don't know why the ghost is named Kevin. Always. It's not a very LSUVN name. It's named after Kevin Falk. Ah, there we go. Uh, that's uh, the Camp Randall, by the way, does have it, it has some potential because it was a Confederate prison. So SEC starts like Owen, Owen many. Damn, they were shipping Randall. those motherfuckers on some road games. <laughs> no, seriously, all the way up, they got all the way up there. As last time, as last time the SEC traveled that far, I tell you <laughs> Why what. Why don't the Woo! SEC go to Wisconsin? There you go. <laughs> that's it. They that's didn't go all. to. Yeah, LSU, and that's it. Only LSU was that brave. LSU and the Confederacy. That's the imprisoned, beaten Confederacy. Those are the two who actually went went north to play a road game. They both lost, right? Uh, yes, they 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 both lost. Many people are saying. I mean, a lot of people are buried, and a lot of people are have been. A cre- lot of people are buried. That's, you're right. Thank you, thank you. A lot of people have been cremated, and also then true. Their ashes yeah, you're taken. You're on a roll, to, buddy. I know. I'm good. <laughs> a lot of people are dead. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> full the shutdown. Full three cast. for three, man. I'm dropping. He's on fire. Here. He's I've on been fire. telling scary stories with a six-year-old and a nine-year-old for a week. <laughs> That's all I have left in my brain. <laughs> there have been many deaths. Yeah, the <laughs> death. Webster's Dictionary defines death as. <laughs> so remember, though, like people in the middle of the Iron Bowl will dump their relatives on the field. Either at Jordan yeah, they Hare. got they had to stop asking people to do that. They'll do it at Sanford too in the hedges. Yeah. Just like imagine like sneezing near the hedges and you got somebody's uncle just in your nostrils. <laughs> That's I don't love it. The the best I don't love it, y'all. The best story from this, of course, is from America's finest uh, news organization, AL.com, where during the 2014 game, uh Taylor Tannenbaum was on the sidelines filming. And a guy made eye contact with her. It's from the story. These are my grandfather's ashes, and I'm going to dump them on the field, the man said, grasping a Ziploc bag. Oh, boy. The sports anchor was momentarily <laughs> stunned. Uh, this next part I find rhetorically funny. Was this guy really going to dump his grandfather's final remains during the middle of the 2014 Iron Bowl? Yeah. yeah no. Bet why, your why, ass he was. What, <laughs> what else was going on at the time? Yeah, that wasn't. That wasn't what's, what was going to happen at all. The best part was that at that point, Auburn was leading the game by a touchdown. The reporter pointed out it could be bad luck to dump a Bama fan's ashes when the Tide was losing. It didn't work. Quote, I have to do it now, he said. I have to do it. <laughs> it sounds like the Tide needed all the help they could get. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tannenbaum said, it was on my mind the entire time I was shooting. I didn't want to be the one who stepped on it. I mean, also Bama won, so they did need the help. Mm. Yeah, come on, Grandpa. Grandpa turned the t- turned the tide, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I I don't get it. it the, the tide, I said. Mm. Did we also have uh, Bigfoot content to discuss? Oh, we do, Spencer. This was you. Oh yeah, the big the FBI Bigfoot vaults. The FBI Bigfoot vaults. I like how I'm the default person for Bigfoot. They're You're like, the one who told me about this. Uh, well, no, it's true. But they're like, hey, you have a beard. Okay, while you get your shit together, I'm going to read another reader contribution from our longtime friend and colleague, Braves and Birds. Thank you. Um, oh, this has a cold open. This doesn't say what the story's about. It just starts. The aircraft, a B-52G, was based at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Goldsboro. This is North Carolina. Around midnight on January 23rd, 24th, 1961, the bomber had a rendezvous with a tanker for aerial refueling. 
During the hookup, the tanker crew advised the B-52 aircraft commander, Major Walter Scott Tullock, that his aircraft had a fuel leak in the right wing. I didn't know that aircraft could just squirt fuels out of their wings. We're learning all kinds of shit today. The refueling was aborted. All I know about aircraft refueling was what I learned playing the 8-bit Top Gun game uh, on the Nintendo console. I know it's very difficult. Uh, Ground control was notified of the problem. The aircraft was directed to assume a holding pattern off the coast until the majority of fuel was consumed. Just go spray that fuel into the ocean, Walter, until it's almost out. It'll be fine. It's the ocean. (laughs) However... When the B-52 reached its assigned position, the pilot reported that the leak had worsened. Well, who saw that coming? And that 37,000 pounds of... Okay, you know that Braves and Birds is a Michigan man because 37,000 pounds, he uh, includes the metric 17,000 kilograms. Uh, I think think this was added by Ryan. Oh, wait, was he pasting in from Wiki? Because I legit thought this was our B&B pal putting in the kilograms just Let's so we could here. understand. Let's see if Ryan committed plagiarism. I would believe, I would believe a Michigan man. Uh, yes, this, this is from the Wiki. Oh, uh, leave Ryan, it to a Florida man to just not do the reading. Ryan has uh, pasted Wiki. Okay, anyway, so all right, I'm, I'm going to start paraphrasing now. I do think it would be very Michiganly though, of you to put the kilogram measure in. Um, so the aircraft was immediately directed to return and land. Uh, but as it descended, the pilots lost control of the plane. Uh, they ejected. Five men landed safely after ejecting or bailing out through a hatch. One did not survive his parachute landing and two died in the crash. Uh, the third pilot of the bomber, Adam Maddox, is the only person known to have successfully bailed out of the top hatch of the B-52 <laughs> without an ejection seat. Baller. Oh, wait. Now we get to the buried lead. The two nuclear bombs the plane was carrying (laughs) separated from the aircraft as it broke up between 1,000 and 2,000 feet. Okay, I have heard this story. This is the time we almost bombed North Carolina. Uh, The first bomb that descended by parachute, that's sweet that they gave parachutes to the bombs, was found intact and standing upright as a result of its parachute being caught in a tree. Take that, Elon Musk. Hey, guys. Uh, in 2013, uh, a FOIA release confirmed that one single switch out of four prevented detonation. We're doing great. Uh, the second bomb plunged into a muddy field at around 700 <laughs> miles per hour and disintegrated without detonation. Uh, and an unclosed high voltage switch had prevented that from fully arming. Uh, in 2013, they interviewed... Uh, one of these guys who recalled the exact moment the second bomb switch was found. He said, until my death, I will never forget hearing my sergeant say, Lieutenant, we found the arm safe switch. And I said, great. He said, not great. It's on arm. (laughs) (laughs) Excavation of the second bomb was abandoned as a result of uncontrollable groundwater flooding. Uh, most of the thermonuclear stage containing uranium and plutonium, this is only interesting to me, was left in place, but the core of the bomb was removed. Uh, the United States Army Corps of Engineers, as it does with most things, purchased a 400-foot easement over the buried component. That's just solid real estate play right is that there. Like a little, is that like a little bitty uh, Air Force base, like the size of my office now? I'm going to call it that, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's... So nuclear weapons being in the groundwater, that's fine, right? 
Oh, yeah. This was back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Radiation. The entire water table is full of mayonnaise and plutonium. Radiation wasn't bad for you back then. That's fine. Um, I have one more. Now, just to, to keep you updated on my favorite thing, which was the, uh, the, the Bigfoot files. Kind of a disappointment. They're like, oh, man, the FBI's got a file on him. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, they, uh, they analyzed a sample of hair. Like the FBI typically only does work for criminal investigations. However, in the interest of what they would call uh, science and inquiry, sometimes they do additional work. Disqualified a sample of hair that was allegedly Bigfoot's. Um, yeah, it was a deer hair. It was just just deer hair. That's it. That's all you got out of like the Bigfoot files. They didn't. Oh shit! You know what that means, though. That what? means that means they're lying. That means there's way more. See, you got, oh, that's you, true. You got to you got to use your third eye. Because they have a file, that means there's a there's a lot more shit in it. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Did they eavesdrop on like Bigfoot sexual activity and encourage him to kill himself? Is that that is, that is a thing the FBI uh, has done? Yeah. Oh, okay. Weird. That's Weird. They didn't do that for Bigfoot though. Not that we know about yet. We could just say they should just drop stuff like, yeah, we got some other files, and we're just going to seal them until until 2080 because I don't know. It'll keep you interested. Yeah, because like the time the president was murdered on TV in the 60s and they said like, yeah, we'll we'll drop all our stuff, you know, once once we're all clear of this. And then they said, I would ah. just God, I would just open so many things on an unprotected public drive. Right. That were files that were like locked until 2080. All the information about the spot in Ohio State, Michigan. We did a little inquiry, just looked into it. You guys can't find out about it for another 50 years. It's fine. I, I it's like fine. the kicking the can down the road nature of sealed file until yeah, just like the ncaa yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not you, joking we've never told a joke on this show not one not one i have one disappearance here that is is kind of like a real case and i'm sure this dude's totally dead but it is it is prime australia to me that um it's the disappearance of harold holt if you don't know who harold holt is and it's just it's Funny and weird and sad and and very Australian. Uh, Harold Holt was the prime minister of Australia. And in December 1967, he went for a swim. By the way, Australians are just different than you and me because, you know, what the last thing I'm doing in Australia is going for a swim. It's not just because they have great whites. They have like octopus that are the size of a, a thumbtack that can leave you in the hospital that are they just got like there. spider sharks and shit yeah you know I, I don't want that i don't want any of that they got jellyfish out there that you know are microscopic and the minute they touch you you turn into a pile of fingernails that's it's all real bad but harold holt he's different he's australian he's out there swimming as he did frequently and uh harold holt harold holt never came back nothing just disappeared he didn't do this at like you know the dead of night he didn't do this you know in the morning no it was around noon man (laughs) just thought he'd go for a swim and uh he's he's out there he's out there somewhere just just floating around probably dead although there was a conspiracy theory that he was picked up by a chinese submarine i like that one too because it sort of implies that maybe harold took the submarine over he and the Chinese sailors were like, oh, man, we can have a better life, man. Just cruising and rocking out here. Let's do it. 
How do you replace the prime minister when he just leaves? Well, one, you replace him with somebody who doesn't like spear fishing because mm. that's that didn't go well the last time, right? Two, uh, two, I think you just find the guy who at the bar who's still standing, right? You, you, that's <laughs> it. Next. Yeah, next. That's remember, that was the inspiration for Beer Fest was drinking with Australians. How's that going to go? Oh, you, you think that competitively they'd be the best in the world. That was the conclusion that led all the guys in Broken Lizard to write Beer Fest. So you probably pick the guy standing at the end of the night, which is also, by the way, how you pick a good punter, evidently, since all great punters are Australians. <laughs>